Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are here. And Dad, I have, some, I have a special uh, quiz for you today, dads. I'm asking the question, how, how dad are you? All right, so if you've said any of these things, uh, you are your dad, all right? Uh, when someone comes back inside the, the house because they forgot something, have you ever said, back already? How all was it? Right. Or after declining additional warranty protection, have you ever said, that's how they get you? Or every time it rains, you've said, we really needed this rain. <laughs> or something I said, I know I've said this a ton, when you're carrying something heavy, they, someone asks you, can you get that? And you say, oh, it's not heavy, it's just awkward. Awkward size. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever said that. I don't know. Anyway, but I've said that, right? Or when the doors open, you say, I'm not paying to heat the whole neighborhood. Or when driving past horses, uh, you say, look, horses. <laughs> I've done that many times. Or you forget your keys. You come back in. You say, can't get very far without these. Or after falling asleep on the couch, maybe even today, you might say, oh, I was just resting my eyes. Or when your child has a minor injury and you look at them and you kind of smile and you say, well, looks like we'll have to amputate it. <laughs> or the favorite, when a child takes too long in the bathroom and you say, well, did you fall in? So how dad are you? I was 10 out of 10 on that one. So maybe you were too, but anyhow. Well, before I was dad, like many of you, I was, like everyone is at some point, I was single for the first 24 years of my life. And I thought that I had a pretty good grasp of who I was as a person, uh, what I liked to do, what kind of person I was, who I was going to be, and then I got married. You can laugh. That's a joke, right? Okay. It's okay to laugh. Right? I got married. And when I was married, I realized, hey, I'm actually pretty selfish. Uh, I, before I was married, I made most of my decisions. I just checked myself, and I... And I did whatever I wanted to do. So that was an adjustment and a change on some level. Then after a few years of being married, I thought I knew who I was. And, and then we had a child. I became a father. And that child changed me in more ways. Now I had two people to consider when making plans or doing things. So then I, I really thought of who I, I knew who I was. And then I had another child. And I had a daughter. And then I thought I knew who I was. And then I had another child. Three children. And then I really thought I knew who I was because seven years had passed since the third child, and I had my entire life planned out, and then we had another child. And then I realized I know who I am. I'm basically just a chauffeur. That's pretty much who I am, and that's fine because that's who God has called me to be at this moment in my life. That's who I am now, right? But I've changed over the years. If you've been saved... By the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, you have not just been saved from hell. You haven't just been saved from the just wrath of God for your sins. You've also been made into a new person. You now have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. And he's changing your desires. He's changing your actions. He's changing your behaviors. You will still sin. But your love for Jesus will continue to increase. And your sin will decrease because of the love that you have for your heavenly Father. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. If you're living with any other motive, 
but then to live because you love Jesus and you love others, then you're not living the Christian life right. And today we're looking at today how God changes us as we continue to become new people. We're in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23. Paul, writing the church in the region of Galatia, says to them, now, faith, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Father in heaven, as we continue to meet here, worship with you. Lord, we do thank you for those fathers you've put in our lives. For those of us who, for, for those in here today that maybe didn't have a father or know their father, you put father figures in their lives. Uh, uncles or grandparents or teachers or coaches or things like that that they could look up to, model themselves after what a man should be. But Father, many times what we think a man should be and act and do doesn't jive very well with your word. So, Father, let us see in your word today how you are changing each and every one of us to be more like you, to, to be more like our heavenly Father. Lord, and show us what it means to, to, to be that way. Lord, I pray that you speak through me today, that, that my words are your words, that you fill me with your spirit today so we can hear what it looks like for you to change us, to be more in your image. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today looking at three things in this passage of Scripture that will show us how God changes us. Three things that will show us how God changes us. Number one, God's Word changes, first, our behavior. God's Word changes our behavior. Verse 23 says, Now before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now Paul is talking about the law, the the Old Testament commandments, that they held us captive in a specific way. And the the Old Testament commands, they're not inherently evil. He's not saying that they were evil in some way. And they were given by God, so they were good. But when we make rules to live by then if we can't break those rules, we put ourselves in a prison of sorts. For instance, if the speed limit is is 55, uh, then we we, we can't go past 65, right? I'm glad you got that one. The first service didn't get that joke. So that's that's the rule that we've given us. We we can't break that, right? And that's the rule. We have to to live inside that. So so the ultimate purpose of the law, however, was to show us what what was right and wrong, But it was not to necessarily be a system of living. It was to show us that we couldn't possibly measure up to God's standard. Look at Hebrews 10.1. It 
For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. What he's saying is this, that we are, cannot be saved by keeping God's word, by keeping the law. There's, we cannot earn our salvation by doing everything that God says. That's not how we are saved. Secondly, Paul says this in Colossians. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. And this is the key to, to, to part of this section here about, about, about following laws. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. For instance, just because the speed limit sign says 55, that sign that says 55 miles per hour cannot change my heart. I still would like to go faster than that sometimes. When I see 55 and I'm driving, I said, you know, I can go a little quicker or, or I want to go a little faster. I can pass this person and, and go faster than that speed limit sign. It shows me the law, but that law cannot change my desires. Now, I might go the speed limit so I don't get arrested, right? I know the consequences for it, but the desire is still there to break it. He says that the law is good for us. It has the appearance of wisdom, but it won't stop our desire to break the law, to break the sin. This is why we still have problems with temptation, even when we are believers. It doesn't mean that rules have no value, but adhering to rules can't change the heart. Can't change the heart. It's God's word that changes our heart. And God's word that changes our behavior. When we come to see that God's word is good for us, when we come to see that we love God because he loves us, then our behavior and heart change. Right? It says in verse 24, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. And what is he saying here? This word, guardian, is a strange word in the Greek. There's no true, adequate English translation for what this word means. It has been translated as schoolmaster or a disciplinarian or things like that. And a guardian in the Jewish society was entrusted with the moral supervision of the child. So maybe like a Boy Scout leader or something like that. Or, but there's not really a, a good uh, a, 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 a translation to, to get exactly what it is. This leader of boys, of young men, they had the right to exercise discipline. They walked around with a wad, a rod, right? And just pull, pull it right out. And it, it could just get them right back in line. What this means is that the law acts as our disciplinarian. It, it is our rod that, that kicks us back in line. God's law kicks us back in line morally speaking. As a child on this Father's Day, I have memories of acting up. Of, not, of doing bad things as a child. Believe it or not, I did some of them. In the summer, my mother was a school teacher, so she was home during the day. 
and uh, I would do something wrong, and, and I would think I would get away with it. And she would say, Charlie, don't do that, or you shouldn't have done that. But then she would never do anything about it, and I thought I was, I was home free. But then my dad would come home that evening, and he'd walk in the door. Like, and right when he walked in, he could, she couldn't even like, let him wait for a minute. Right, right, right when he walked in. Well, guess what Charlie did today? And I'd, he, my dad would start reaching for the belt, you know, and start getting all, and, and I start, would start running away, and he'd chase me, and then I finally would give in, right? My dad's discipline could not permanently change my heart. Now, it made me realize that I was bad, and I knew that I'd done something bad. But the only thing that would truly work for me not to do something bad was not just the fact that I would get a spanking, although that was a deterrent sometimes. The only way I would truly obey my parents is if I truly understood and realized that I needed to love my father and if I truly loved my father. If I truly loved my parents and didn't want to bring grief to them, then I wouldn't have done what they asked me to do. The law was there, but the law couldn't change my heart. Only my relationship with my father could change my heart. It's the same way in our life. God's word gets into our heart. God's word changes our behavior. Not just the rules, not just the law. His word gets into our hearts, and we start obeying because we love God. Not because we have to. Not because we have to earn his love or earn his grace or earn our salvation or anything like that. God's word changes our behavior as it dwells in us richly. Secondly, not only does God's word change our behavior, God's grace changes our status. His grace changes our status, how he sees us. Verse 25, Paul says, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under this guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. See, as we are saved, not by following the law, but by faith in Christ's work on the cross, we no longer need a guardian. Now, he's not saying we don't need the Bible or the, or the Word of God. But this is mind-blowing to the New Testament reader. He's not saying we don't need God's Word. We do need God's Word. But now that we are children of God through faith, by grace we have been saved. We now have the Holy Spirit living in us. We need the Word of God, but we have the Word of God dwelling in us, in our heart. We now look to Jesus. That's who we look to. We look to Jesus. Not the keeping the law. Not the commandments. We look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Look at Hebrews 12. It says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, and let us keep our eyes on God's law. Is that what he says? No. He says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, when we are having a difficult time following Christ, making good decisions, when we're having a difficult time doing what we know is right, we look to Jesus hanging on the cross and realize that he took all of our sin right there and our love for him, for his love for us, Puts us back in line. That's what he's saying to do. Jesus 
despised the shame of the cross, of death on the cross, and he's seated at the right hand of God, now reigning. So, because of that, let's lay aside those sins that entangle us. Let's endure the race as we look to Jesus. See, God's, God's grace changes our status. It changes our motivation. It changes us in ways that simply obeying the law never will. My wife and I flew out to Los Angeles this week, the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are Southern Baptist Church, meets once every year. Usually it's in southern cities, but this year it was out in Los Angeles, so it was a good opportunity to go over to the West Coast. We flew out there, had no problems at all, enjoyed our time there, did some sightseeing. And then coming back from California a couple days ago, we had to stop in Texas on the way back, in Austin, Texas. And we had a very short layover, about 50 minutes. And I was a little concerned that we would get from one plane to the next, even though it was the same area of the airport. It was like two gates down. It was like 20 feet apart. A little concerned if there was a delay or something like that. Well, when you're on the planes now, you know, I've been on the plane a while, but when you're on the planes, you can check your flight status. You can check the next flight status. And I saw that the other flight, the second flight, had been delayed about 20 minutes. So we're a little concerned because if you get a delay, that could be it could get pushed back. It could get canceled. So... I was a little concerned we might get stuck in Texas, uh, but, you know, we, we were just thinking about it and praying about it. But it was just a 20-minute delay the whole time. Now, if there had not been a delay, what would have happened was we got off the plane, we would have had four minutes to get the next plane. Now, it's just going from gate 16 to gate 18, which is about, about a 30-foot walk. But we would have had no time to do anything other than go from one gate to the next. And I was the, we were the very first people to board. It was... A, it was Southwest, and I checked in, and they, and they boarded that way. We were A1 and A2. We were the first two people on the plane, right? And so we had no time just to, to board right there. But because there was this 20-minute delay, we were able to, to get a burger, sit, eat, collect our thoughts, use the restroom, and that delay ended up being the grace of God for us. The flight still got to Charleston on time. They made time in the air. They still got... To Charleston on time. But that, that gift changed our status. We went from being a little frazzled, a little worried, to being able to rest, take our time, get on the next plane, come home. See, God's grace changes our status. Changes how God sees us. Before Jesus, we were alienated from God. Now we're sons of God. We're daughters of God. We have a unique relationship with him. So God's grace changes our status, and we grow in that way. And number three, God's call changes our identity. God's call changes our identity. Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is your new identity. You've put on Christ. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, in the body of Christ, we're all one. In this passage, Paul lists several markers of identity and then shows how being in Christ changes one's priority when it comes to stacking our identity. For instance, I would be considered uh, a white American male. You could even say southern male. We would probably say that in the south. 
have Scottish-Irish blood descendants, right? We can go on and on about, about where we're from, who we are. Those are all identification factors. But Paul says, no matter how you choose to identify yourself, there's one that surpasses all of them. If you're a Christian, you are first and foremost in Christ. Yes, I'm white, but I'm Christian first. Yes, I'm American, but I'm Christian first. Yes, I'm South Carolinian, but I hate to admit it, I'm Christian first. Yes, I'm Southern, but I'm Christian first. Yes, I'm a male, but I'm a Christian first. Christian, Christianity surpasses all these things. That's what he says. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no, there's no racial war between the Jew and the Greek. There's no room for interracial prejudice in the body of Christ. <coughs> he says there's no, neither slave nor free. Back then, you were either a slave or a free person. And slavery was different than what we think about now. Almost Most people became slaves at some point. They worked off debts, things like that. But they were still looked down upon and they were treated not well many times. He says it doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free person. You're, you're, there's no social prejudice in the body of Christ. And he said there's no male or female. Now, he's not abolishing sex. He's not abolishing how God's created us. He says there's no room for discrimination, whether you're male or female is what he's saying. He says you can't be discriminated for being male or female. Being in Christ doesn't mean we quit being a certain race or a certain social status or a certain sex or a certain ethnic group. We have all those identities, but they all take a back seat to being in Christ. Christ. It's amazing to be at this convention this week. Met brothers and sisters in Christ, and not just Christians, Southern Baptists, 9,000 of them. And it went, it went pretty well. There were no crosswords, no fighting. It was great. Mainly pastors. And, and, and just met random people, and they'd be from all over the world. We asked one guy to take our picture. I said, Where are you from? He said, Oh, I'm from, I'm from Toronto, but I'm a church planter in Jerusalem. I said, Wow, that's really cool, right? But it's like I, I just met him, but it's like I've known him my whole life. You know why? Because we both have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Right? It's a brother I never knew I had until we took our picture. See, we're all different. We're all unique. God's created us specific ways. But we're all one in Christ. God's call changes our ultimate identity marker. Our ultimate allegiance, our identity is found in Christ, no matter what anybody says about us. When we were leaving California, or trying to leave, you know, we'd already flown out there, and we were coming back. We went to this airport to, to get on our first plane. Walked through TSA, we took our shoes off and our clothes off and all that kind of stuff, you know, and did everything we had to get, to get through and, and pick all our electronics out and all that kind of deal. And, and I gave my license, I scanned in, and Emily gave her license. The lady said, uh, this, uh, she's not on the flight. I was like, well, here's a boarding pass right here. Yeah, we don't have her in the system. I was like, well, we, we got out here a few days ago, so evidently she's in there and says, we don't have her. And pulled up her license. on. Somehow they pulled it up on the screen, which is odd because they didn't have her, but pulled it up, and there was something weird about her middle name that was placed in the wrong place or something on the license <coughs> or something like that. And because of that, it was flagging her as not being who she said she was. There's her face right there. There's the license. I don't think it was enough that's her. 
I said, well, clearly, <coughs> clearly that's her. And the lady looked at her and said, okay, you can go through. And I was like, thank you, because I was about to leave my wife in, in California. So anyhow, no, I don't think I would have left her there. Probably wouldn't be here today if I left her there. But anyway, they said she wasn't in the system, but she was. It doesn't matter what they say, because here she is right here. See, it didn't change who she was. Christ tells us who we are. No matter who anybody tells us what we are, we are in Jesus Christ. And verse 29 says this, <coughs> if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If we're truly in Christ, we're not just in him, we are sons and daughters, and we inherit eternity. We inherit eternity. Richard Blackaby wrote, Fathers have been given the enormous privilege of reflecting the fatherhood of God to their children. Don't misrepresent him. Today, if you're a father, let that be in your mind today as you go about doing what you want to do on Father's Day. I don't know what I want to do. My kids keep asking me. Normally I would say I want to break for a few hours. But I had that for a week. So now I just want to hang out with them today. But when you hang out with your family today, and your children especially, realize that you have this enormous privilege that you're representing the Heavenly Father to them. Think about how serious that is. And understand that you can do that properly if you know Jesus. You can do that properly if you know Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Allow the Spirit to continue to make you into the image of the Father and to continue changing you into who you are and who you will be. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for today. Lord, if there's one in here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would turn their eyes upon you today. That they would turn from their sins and, and, and place their faith in you today. That they would see that you are this loving Father who sent his Son to die for their the sins on the cross. Lord, for those of us today who know you, who are following you, let us remind ourselves that we do good because you love us, because we love you. Creating us a, a heart that wants to love you more, that wants to obey you because of who you are. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day, and we thank you for this word that you've given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name.